Grace Family Church of Rhode Island presents Word of Hope, a sermon series with Pastor Luciano Cozzi. We're continuing today on the path that we have taken a few weeks ago, starting discussing, learning from, studying the Beatitudes, as this passage is called, is referred to. We are looking at Matthew chapter 5 and verse 7 today, which states, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy, in the New American Standard Bible. Now, when Jesus sat down and started teaching the people around him, many of the Jews we're looking forward to, to the reestablishment of the kingdom of Judah, free from Roman dominion, by military power or by force. That's the only way they thought that the kingdom that was promised to be restored would be restored. I mean, after all, they saw these invaders, the Romans, taking control of it, and they leaned on the promises of a new kingdom thinking that that would be the same as kicking the Romans out and by force taking the kingdom again and establishing a new, a new um, age of the kingdom. So that is quite in contrast, however, with what we see Jesus talking about in here. Jesus was not talking about the kingdom of this world. He had not come to this earth to be a king the way they expected. You see, in his creative wisdom, God had decreed that the word, the logos, that we see in John 1, 1, Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah, would enter into his own creation. I mean, he had created all things. He had created space and time and all matter, and now God, the creator of all things, was now entering into his creation, into that space and time that he had created in order to redeem it. He was going to give his life on the cross, not a defeat in any sense of the way, but a great victory over death itself, over time itself, if you think about it. He was then going to rise from the dead, for death cannot defeat the Logos. Death cannot defeat God. In his resurrection, then he would redeem our limited and sinful condition, including all of creation itself, and bring it to a new reality, a reality of fellowship with its creator himself. So I don't think it would surprise us to, to find out that a lot of the teachings of Jesus are about relationships. Not because this book, the Bible, is a book of happy life or happy relationships. Although it might include that. It might include that, yes. But it is not about that. It is about our purpose in life. It is about the redemption of all creation. It is about that oneness that Jesus Christ prayed to the Father that we, you and I, would have with him. 
For he prayed, Father, I pray that they may be one just as you and I are one. Food for thought, because that is quite a profound statement. But think of this reality subjected to all these limitations now in the resurrection of Jesus Christ being redeemed from all these limitations and being raised to a new level, a new reality in him, in his eternity, in his infinity. In these teachings that we are looking at right here, Jesus described the character of that new kingdom, that eternal kingdom redeemed by Christ and in Christ. That what we are what we're looking at here in what is called the Beatitude is the character that he's forging within us by the Holy Spirit who dwells in us and redeems us individually. So that kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, can never be conquered by force. It can never be established in human terms. But it is established only through the very character of the king and master, the one who was, is, and will be, the great I am, as he defined himself or described himself to Moses and to his disciples. Think about that for a second. Because what does that mean to us? When we read and when we hear Jesus talking about the character of the kingdom, and he tells us that that kingdom is in our midst even now, what does it mean? It means that that is the character that we should have. It means that that is the character that God is forging within us by his presence in the person of the Holy Spirit. It means that that is a description of who God wants us to be. But it's not just a wishful thinking, though. I don't want you to think about this God as, as a losing party in a battle with Satan, because sometimes God is portrayed as that. Either he's portrayed as a mean God who is seeking to punish you and wants you to qualify to be loved by him, which is totally preposterous and totally anti-biblical. I mean, after all, look at what Jesus Christ did for you and tell me if you need any more demonstration of love. Or God is demonstrated as, or is presented as this being who's far away somewhere, looking down at creation and shaking his head and saying, Ugh, I'm not thinking these things are going well because Satan is taking over in the meantime and Satan is all busy messing things up and God from far away looks down and says, Ugh, things are not going very well. No, none of that. We find that God is very much involved in his creation. In fact, he has redeemed this creation. He has brought the creation to a new level in him, in his resurrection, in his new life. I mean, after all, the God, the creator of all things, became human, became part of this creation, and then rose again to bring this creation at his level to him. But, but then... Before that happens, as he was teaching, he would often speak about that kingdom to describe it, to share with us what it is all about. 
And so as we read this portion here of the Beatitude, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy, we don't want to lose sight of the context of that statement. Because the context of this statement is the context of God himself. It goes without saying that mercy is a vital aspect of the character of God. Not only the character of God himself, but the character that God is forging within us as well. Second Corinthians chapter 1 and verses 3 and 4 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, not is the way he is defined, the Father of mercies, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our afflictions so that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. What does that mean? Well, it means something very, very simple. God is a God of all mercies and the God of all comforts. And when we are afflicted, God extends mercy to us and comforts us so that we will do the same to one another. And that means we participate in his very attribute of being a God of mercy and a God of comfort. You and I could not have that mercy if it wasn't for the image of God in us. If it wasn't for the spirit of God in us, we are unable to extend that mercy. We will be judgmental. We will hold grudges. We will hold resentment against one another. We would always be upset by something someone does that doesn't quite fit our agenda. But that's not God, is it? Because if God was to be that way with us, oh man, we would be in big trouble. But he's gracious. He's merciful. And he comforts us. So that we learn to be like him. So that we can learn, so we can have that aspect of a character of that kingdom forged within us, so that we can participate in the same mercy and giving the same comfort to one another. Isn't that awesome? Think about that. God wants us to participate in his nature. So what then? What is this mercy? That we're talking about. In essence, as we've seen in 2 Corinthians 1, it is nothing less than the expression of God's character in us. After all, as we read, He is the Father of all comforts and is the Father of all mercy. But let's understand it better. The merciful are those who demonstrate the mercies of God in them. Now, notice how that contrasts with the Pharisees' attitudes and what the Pharisees valued. Because they valued position, prestige, control. All along, they were harsh with other people. They were proud. They had an appetite for their own form of righteousness. They were hungry, not for God, but they were hungry for their own form of righteousness because their own form of righteousness would point to themselves, would show to others, look, I'm a good person. You know how many times I hear that in conversation? It seems like before people know that I'm a pastor, they talk in all sorts of filthy language. As soon as they hear I'm a pastor, 
They stop talking in a filthy language. They start talking politely. And then they say, you know, I'm a good person. And I'm thinking, yeah. Except for one thing. There is only one who is good. And that is God himself. And unless you allow God to forge a character in you through his presence, guess what? You're not going to be a good person. You think you are. Just like the Pharisees thought they were good people. Because that means that you don't go and rob a bank. Right? You don't kill anybody. Of course, you might do some of the other things that are listed there. Okay, but those, but those are minor, aren't they? No, they're not. And in and by ourselves, we're really not good people. But praise be to God that he comes into the picture and like all the rest of creation, he redeems us, right? He exalts us to his world, to his kingdom, to his level of existence. He changes us, he transforms us. He shapes and forges his character in us through his presence, not by force, because nothing that God does forces us, but through invitation, because it's a process of love, and you can't force anyone to love. I know some people have tried. Oh boy, I know some people have tried. One of them even gave her fiancé a book to help him to understand how he can get all the love that he wants. And for crying out loud, I look at that book and I'm thinking, my, oh my, oh my, this is all upside down. See, mercy, the mercy, the character of God, the characteristic of God that we are talking about today, it's not an external thing like the things that the Pharisees would go for. It is not an external behavior. It's not something that is outside of us. It's a trait of the heart. A trait of the heart that is of the heart that is indwelt and guided by the Holy Spirit. And what does the Holy Spirit do? The Holy Spirit gives us love. And what is that love? It's not getting what you want. It's not getting what you think you need. It's giving. Giving all of yourself for the benefit of the other. It, love is outflowing, outpouring. It's not getting. It's not manipulating. It's not, doesn't mean, oh, I like it. I mean, like we often say, I love it in the sense of, really, we don't say I love it. We say, I like it. Love is dynamic. And in that dynamic... Strictly speaking, having mercy means forgiving the offenses. And in that sense, it's different from pity. Pity sees someone in need and says, well, I, I, I have pity on them, so I want to help them out. Mercy is different in a sense that that person in need has actually offended you or hurt you in some way, and now mercy kicks in to say, well, it doesn't matter what they've done to me, they need me. So therefore, in the love of God, I pour out myself for them. Like Jesus said, anyone, anyone can love a friend. 
Even the pagans do that. They love the people that love themselves, that love them, right? It's, it's a form of loving yourself in a way because you love what is convenient for you. Hey, I love my husband because he makes me feel good. I love my wife because she's, oh, she's awesome. And she makes me feel like, I'm, whoa, I'm walking three inches off the ground. But do you still love them when they upset you? Do you still give of yourself when they are difficult and hard to deal with? Or maybe when they go through that time and they're a little grumpy? Or unpredictable? Or when the guy has a little booboo in the finger and it seems like the whole world is crumbling down upon him? <laughs> there are moments in which we all test one another. Those are the moments in which the mercy of God can be manifested. And he starts by extending forgiveness, and he adds to that forgiveness, it adds care. To be merciful, it means to have a compassionate heart that, yes, is ready to forgive those who may have hurted us, hurt us or offended us in some way. It means to have empathy. So it's not just forgiving and forgetting, meaning you forgive the person, but then you say, I'll never talk to them again. I heard people saying that that's forgiveness, by the way, that's not. But forgiveness is reconciliatory. Forgiveness means that the relationship is restored. To forgive someone and turn your back forever and never know them again, it's not really forgiveness, is it? It's holding a grudge. It's just that you don't want to talk about it. <laughs> that's different. Mercy is empathic, meaning having empathy for one another, understanding the other person's heart and the issues of that heart. Mercy is what happens when we see and know each other, not only for the good things, but for the ugly things as well. And yet, we still build a relationship. It is deliberate it is an act of the will, it is not just an emotional reaction. Because I'll tell you what, I know that my wife many times could have reacted emotionally to me and just locked the door behind me. But she didn't, she was merciful. She was merciful not because she felt like it at that moment, she was merciful because she knew that that was the right thing to do. So it was an act of the will. And she might have felt like, you know, the big Hulk turning green, right? <laughs> Popping up the muscles and ripping all the clothes and going for the attack. But she didn't. In her mercy, she would say, you know what? I need to understand. And I choose to understand not to justify, not to condone, not to say it's okay when it's not. Because I'll tell you, she wouldn't tell me it's okay. She's quite capable of telling me, grow up. <laughs> All right? But nevertheless, you need to understand. It takes a tender heart, not a heart of stone. But praise God, it seems to me like Joel talked about that when he said that God would remove the hearts of stones from us and replace them with hearts of flesh, tender hearts, guided and led by the Holy Spirit, 
imbued with his love and his mercy. Now, I said before that mercy depends on the love of God. It is an expression of that love, actually. In 1 John chapter 3, in verse 17, it's written, For whoever has the world's goods and sees his, his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? Notice how here the love of God is defined. It's not defined in the sense of just as giving, but also in having mercy toward the other person. It's an expression of that love, isn't it? Now, of course, it goes beyond that. Love of God goes beyond mercy, but mercy is an expression of it. James chapter 2, verses 15 and 16. If a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled. Or in modern term, terms, in the way we would say today, bless your heart and move on. And yet you don't give them what is necessary for their body. What use is that? Is that being merciful? Or maybe you say, well, no, I'm not going to give them anything because they squander it and they deserve. You made your bed sleep in it. Boy, I'm glad that God doesn't do that with us. Mercy exemplifies the principles of giving. I mean, after all, love is giving. And if mercy is an expression of that love, he would expect, expect mercy also to be an aspect of giving. Acts chapter 20, verse 35 says, In everything I showed you that by working hard in this manner, you must help the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. The whole context of that it is more blessed to give than to receive is in terms of people who are weak. And now who is more weak than the individual who has offended us? I'll tell you why that is weak. Because obviously they're not strong in the faith. They're not strong in the Lord. Because if they were strong in the Lord, they would not be acting sinfully, right? But they do because that's their weakness. I have my weakness. You have your weaknesses. We all have our weaknesses. But when we display those weaknesses, what does God call us to do? Acts 20. It tells us that we are to work hard to help those who are weak. Not to condemn them and kick them out, but help them. Now, sometimes it's necessary to get into tough love, but that's a different topic for another time. But again, it's not tough, period. It's tough love. Too many people, when they talk about tough love, look at the tough part and they don't look at the love part. That needs to be qualified. So, what are similar ways in which we're called to practice this mercy so we understand better what that it's all about and what it looks like? Well, look at Isaiah chapter 58, beginning with verse 5. Is it a fast like this which I choose? A day for a man to humble himself? Is it for bowing one's head like a reed and for spreading out sackcloth and ashes as a bed? Will you call this a fast, even an acceptable day to the Lord? You know, that sounds very much like ceremonial to me. The way this fast is described in, verses five, in verse 5 of Isaiah 58 is it's like 
putting on the physical appearance of mourning and humiliating and humbling ourselves. But is that the fast that is acceptable, the day that is acceptable to the Lord? Look at verse 6. Is this not the fast which I choose? To loosen the bonds of the wickedness, to undo the bands of the yoke, and to let the oppressed go free and break every yoke? Is it not to divide your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into the house when you see the naked to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh? That's interesting. You see, the first part, it talks about the ceremonial aspect. Well, I'm fasting. I'm, I'm covering myself with ashes, as was one way for them back in those days to show that they were humiliating and humbling themselves. The other way is getting up, helping others, working justice, extending mercy, and helping those who need that help. Makes a difference, doesn't it? Because interestingly enough, it is not the first one that God calls a day acceptable to him or a worship of, of him. It's the second. Galatians 6, 2. Bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. So how do we fulfill the law of Christ? How do we please our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? How do we contribute to that work of forging the character within us by willingly bearing one another's burdens? And how do we bear one another's burdens if we don't have mercy on each other? If we don't extend that mercy? Luke 10 says, which of these three Luke 10, 36. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the robber's hand? Well, that is talking about the parable of the uh, Good Samaritan. Where there was this, this Gentile who had been attacked and actually it wasn't even a Gentile, I'm not sure. But there was this individual who was attacked and beaten by the robbers and left in there half dead. And here comes a good Jew and walks around. Here comes a priest, even, and says, I can't contaminate with them. I'm, I have to serve the Lord in the temple. And then here comes a Samaritan that we used to be despised. And they, the Samaritans used to be called dogs by the Jews. And he stops, takes care of the man, applies first aid any way he could at that moment, takes him to an inn, tells the owner of the inn to take good care of him, leaves the money enough for his staying, and says that if, when I come by from my journey and I come back through here again, I'm going to check with you, and if I owe you some more, I'll give it to you, but please do take care of him. So Jesus says, which one of the three proved to be a neighbor? And they said, the one who showed mercy toward that individual. And then Jesus says, well, then go and do the same. How do we exercise that mercy? How do we display the mercy of God in us? By not turning our back, by not finding ways to, to rationalize and compromise with what we're supposed to be like, with what God in us is like. Oh, we can rationalize so much. Man, I'm late for work, for church, for fun. I got a golf game waiting for me. I can't stop in here and help this person who's dying on the, road, on the side of a road. 
Are you kidding me? What's going to happen to my golf game? Okay, I'm exaggerating, right? But you get the point. Because in many other ways, we rationalize just the same. Proverbs 14.31, He who oppresses the poor taunts his maker, meaning God. But he who is gracious to the needy honors him. To be gracious with one another, to be gracious with the ones who are in need, whether that need is physical or spiritual, makes no difference. There's some, still someone in need. It is part of what God wants us to do. Finally, verse, uh, I mean, Matthew 23 and verse 23, where Jesus said, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you tithe the mint and the dill and the cumin and have neglected the weightier provisions of the law. Notice the Pharisees, again, were all about ritual. I mean, try to tithe the mint. My wife has a mint plant outside in the, in the, on the deck. And every time she makes something that, she, that needs mint, she goes out and cuts some leaves. Can you imagine a Pharisee going around counting the leaves and say, one out of ten, I give it to the church. One out of ten, I give it to the church. One out of ten, I give it to the church. They would do that. But they are too busy doing that to take care of the weightier provisions of the law. And what are the weightier provisions of the law, the more important provisions of the law that Jesus was talking about? He said to himself, keep reading, justice and mercy and faithfulness, but these, things, but these are the things you should have done without neglecting the others. It is not bad to give. Jesus wouldn't say that it was bad to give, but you know what? You're so involved in counting the minute little things and you're wasting so much time doing that, but when it comes the time to exercise mercy, to show mercy toward other people, then you say, oh no, I tie that to my finger. I won't forget that. And that's not a good place to be. What are some of the benefits of being merciful? There are many, but here are the main ones. Proverbs eleven seventeen. The merciful, the merciful man does himself good, but the cruel man does himself harm. You think that by being unforgiving and cruel toward the other people, you harm the other person. You think that you are going to be exercising some degree of fairness or vengeance or saying you know well they made their bed let them sleep in it or well that's what they deserve so that's what they're going to get look at proverbs eleven seventeen. it says you're actually hurting yourself more than them but if you're merciful then you're doing yourself a lot of good proverbs fourteen twenty one says he who despises his neighbors sins but Happy, blessed is he who is gracious to the poor or to that who is in need. And Jesus told us that if we are blessed, uh, if we are merciful, we are blessed. Being blessed also means happy, but not in a in a frolic sense of happiness that we tend to think of today. Happy in the sense of having real peace of heart, a real peace of mind, not having worries that come with us to keep us from sleeping at night, 
to haunting us by day, to mess up our relationships. Jesus said, we are blessed. We are at peace. We are happy. Meaning of that joy that comes from the Spirit of God within us. But it also says that we will receive mercy. And I don't know about you, but I think I need that. I think I need the mercy of God, and I appreciate so much that God has been merciful toward me in all of my faults and all my shortcomings and all of my ugliness. And because God has been that merciful with me, why should I not be a little bit merciful towards someone else who may have stepped on my toe or irritated me a little bit? After all, God has done so much more than that for me. The Holy Spirit within all of us is drawing us to Christ. That means much more than just saving our skin, by the way. Coming to Christ doesn't mean get away from the problems of sin only. It's a lot more than that. It means an invitation to share his attributes in his redemption, to share his eternity and infinity with them. It means that God wants to live in us, guide us, mold us, shape us in the image of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It means that he wants to forge in us a merciful heart driven by his love, willing to give all for the love of Christ and for one another in him. That's the calling that we have. And I hope that I clarified a little bit of the meaning of a short statement, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. And I hope that that resonates with all of us in, in our daily behavior. I want to invite all of us during this week until the next time that we are talking, and I think the next time we're going to see some examples of mercy as well, but I want all of us to be invited to think and ask ourselves a question. Am I expressing the mercies of God in this choice, in the way I choose to treat this person or this situation? Am I expressing, demonstrating, showing, allowing the Holy Spirit to portray that mercy of God? And if the answer is not, then please change your plans. If the answer is yes, then thank God for that and ask God to guide you so that the outcome will be blessed by him as well. Shall we pray, please? Would you join me? Father, we thank you. We thank you for your amazing and immense mercy. We thank you for being the father of all mercies and the father of all comfort. We thank you for the fact that you comfort us in all our troubles and afflictions. But we thank you that you are teaching us to be the same with one another. We thank you for giving us the opportunity to participate in that with you and to comfort one another in the same way you have comforted us. Please give us a heart of mercy, just like yours. 
forge that character in us. Make that presence of that kingdom evident in us because you have redeemed us and you have made us one with you through Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit in whose name we pray. Amen.